Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And he's proven that he can put the work in to get back earlier. And Villa's medical staff have proven that they can put the work in to get to get a player back early. So I guess that's a positive. But it's a huge blow. It was a shocking tackle. I just think both the Corey's tackles in that game. Actually, he made three because he should have got booked before he, he made the tackle on, on Kamara, which may have prevented that happening. Actually, even though he did see him on a mission to be sent off. Any any of them could have could. I think any of those two tackles on one on Kamara, one on Chambers. I think that either of them could have been straight red. In all honesty. King can be vocal if he needs to be. Um, I don't know what he's like in the dressing room, sort of pre and post game. If he needs to get stuck into a teammate, he will. If he needs to offer up encouragement, he can also do that. Um, but I think he's more of a performance leader than a vocal um, player. And that team, that Villa team, was good enough. You know, to be fair, a couple of games into the into the run which at the time wouldn't have been a run because it was just, you know, two or three victories. He said, I remember looking around, I was sitting in the dress, uh, locker room and remember looking at the, the lockers thinking, we've got Tammy Abraham here, we've got John McGinn here, we've got um, Jack Quillish here. Because John and, and John and Jack Quillish were obviously unbelievable at that point. Um, we've just got enough quality here, we're going to win games. The 1874 Show by The Villa View. Hello and welcome to the 1874 show on the Villa View. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by the Athletics Global, Greg Evans, to talk about all things Aston Villa from a unique perspective. Greg, another win. Here we go. This is what we do on the 1874 show. Two wins in a row, two clean sheets in a row, and everything is right with the world. Hello, Dan. Um, well, it isn't what we do, is it? We talk about defeats on this show. No, we're making a change. This is what we're doing now. This is this is how it's going to be under an IM. We're going to be talking more about wins than we are about defeats. Okay, I like it. I like it. Do you know what? I've actually had a very good two weeks because uh, it just it just seems work is so much easier when Villa are winning. So it's been a nice two weeks, yeah. And 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 looking forward to going over that that latest win. Yeah, it wasn't a wasn't a great display. It wasn't a game that people will remember for for a long time. But I felt like from the outset and in all the lead up in the week, listening to Unai Emery, listening to the players, it felt like they really wanted one a win at home and two a clean sheet at home. So from that perspective, it ticked both those boxes. In in some ways, I think Unai Emery will be happier with a ground out one nil that wasn't pretty than he yeah. would be with like a 3 4 nil where Villa were comfortable. I know that sounds ridiculous, but do you know what I mean? I feel like he just yeah. ticked a few boxes. Yeah, it was really interesting leading up to the game that he, he, he just kept reiterating 
uh, the, the importance of keeping a clean sheet. And he said, look, you know, the, the way that we are going to win football games now is by keeping clean sheets. So that's a little bit of insight into, you know, how he's preparing the teams and what he wants uh, from his players. Yeah, um, I, it's weird because I'm, I'm watching Villa in a different way now. I'm not so much watching the game. I'm watching how they are trying to implement the style that Emery wants them to play. And because I'm watching it in that way, I'm seeing more positives than perhaps other people are seeing. Because on the face of it, Villa beat Crystal Palace 1-0 at home by an own goal. And they had played against ten, uh, played against a team of ten men for thirty minutes. So it doesn't sound, you know, like a great, exciting game and something you can really uh, hang on to. But the way I watched that team play, I found some really encouraging parts from it. Tell me what you found, Greg. Tell me what those things were. Well, the, I mean, the, the the key was how they controlled possession and the way that. For 43 minutes, they didn't attempt one single long ball. Now, if, if you're a supporter in the whole end, you, you, you're not going to notice that immediately. I mean, I, I watched specifically to see how many times um, the defenders got, got on the ball and passed, passed it either sideways, backwards um, or closely forward. But there was nothing that... It was 43 minutes when Emmy Martinez kicked it long for the first time. Um so that was the that was the first sort of takeaway, and there were there were other little things that I noticed. That, you know, Villa played the most amount of um, passes in their own half compared to any single game this season, um, and also there were a couple of moments late in the second half. There was one where Emi Buendia was running forward, and he had no options to go. He, he was you know quite close to the to the opposition box, but he had nothing in front of him, and he turned around and played the ball backwards and, and Emery started applauding it because it was another show of just keeping the possession, uh, keeping possession and seeing out the game. Um, there were a couple of moments I remember when Tyron Mings looked to play backwards and the whole end really got on his back, almost as if to say, come on, you know, get it forward, let's get that second goal and we'll kill off the game. Now, but he didn't, again, he passed it sideways and, um, you know, Emery was clapping on the sidelines. Now, I know a lot of that sounds pretty boring and, and pretty negative. But to go back to your initial point, Villa needed to stop the rot at home. They needed to get a win. They needed a clean sheet. They needed to build some confidence to know that when they are ahead again, they can comfortably hold out, uh, see out the game. Um, and it was probably about 75, 80 minutes where they clearly thought this is a stick or twist situation. Do we throw men forward and try and get that second goal and probably go on and win two or three nil then? Um but you know, there's a tiny risk of conceding, or do we just see it out and 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 settle for the one nil? And you know, we're on Monday now, and the three points are the three points, regardless of of how of how Villa got it. So, those were my main takeaways from the game, and I just think it's a building block for the future. Yeah, I mean, it's easy for me to say now, but they did the right thing because even though Palace had ten men, and we've seen Villa struggle against ten men many times since they've returned to the Premier League, Palace are still an, an agile outfit. They're still a mobile outfit. So if you go gung ho and you don't get that second goal, you can still quite easily get caught on the break. Zaha can worm himself out of any situation. He curled one just wide at the back end of the, of the second half. So you know, Palace even with ten men are still a dangerous outfit because they've got some good players in, in transition. I think the biggest thing for me is that. I think that's Villa's first home clean sheet since September. I think 1-0 against Southampton was the last time Villa kept a clean sheet at home, which is a long, long time ago, obviously. Mm. A different manager. <clears throat> and I mentioned this in our, our post-match point show, that I remember coming away from that game, or I remember after the game, 
then sat around with my mates and just thinking, even though they've won, that was just miserable. There, there was just nothing to get behind. It was poor. Southampton game. Yeah, I can't see what Villa are doing. I don't know where we're going. There's no pattern to play. Manager's been there for nearly a year. I don't understand what we're trying to do. Now, this performance at the weekend, despite what you've just said, there was probably some similarities in it. Obviously, you were watching the game in a different way. But you come away from it, like you say, just thinking there's a building block, there's something there, there's a tangible style of the manager's trying to get his messages across, he's trying to implement something. So sometimes you might win a game one and it'd be ugly and it'd not be the most exciting game in the world, but it's part of the plan. It's part of yeah. the grander process. It's part of the longer process for the club. And I think that's that's the difference now. People like sometimes pundits can be a bit lazy and say Steven Gerrard would have got panned for that 1-0 win. Well, yeah, he probably would have done because there was nothing else to really get behind and you couldn't see what Villa were trying to do. We can see what they're trying to do under Unai Emery. We know it's it's the right manager. And that, in the future, could go down as an, an important win just because of the stuff stuff you've said, because they now know they can win ugly at home. It's the mental side of the game sometimes. And Villa might be in that situation again where they're 1-0 up and they now know they can see a game out at home. Yeah, and, you know, it's like watching Man City at times, isn't it? They're not entirely um, entertaining. You know, they pass it from side to side. They soak up the game. They, they kill the game at times. Um, I was watching the, the the Newcastle Man City game before before Villa kicked off and Newcastle had a, a long sustained spell of pressure and it was sort of five, six minutes. Then Man City went up the other end and, and clinically scored, scored their second goal. Um, now, obviously, that's what Villa are sort of working towards. They haven't got the level of player where they can ruthlessly put teams away right now but they can work on a style that if they do take the lead in a game they're comfortable with what they've worked on in the week will help them see out that game and I just thought that the performance against Palace showed that um, I came away thinking Villa haven't actually played that well against Southampton away they didn't play that well against Leeds they didn't play that well against Everton they didn't play well that well against Crystal Palace um, and there was one more game uh, that, that they won, Top but they won, <laughs> you know, and that's the difference. Villa are now winning games when they're playing average um, uh, because they've got enough quality and they've got a correct game plan and they're tight enough defensively against the lower ranked teams to see them off. So that for, I think they've taken a giant step forward. And I think in the summer when Unai Emery identifies a couple more players, um, and look, you know, it's, it's not going to be as simple as we've said last week on the podcast. It's not going to be as simple of, as identifying a player, getting him in, and then he's immediately better than what Villa have got, because it doesn't always work that way. But the plan will be now to identify a couple of weaknesses in, in that team and, and bring a few more players in. And for me, Villa are then, you know, knocking about the top six and seven, I think. Yeah, I mean, they're lacking firepower at the moment, Villa, but yet we sit here and they've scored in every game still. They're scored in every game. Yeah, so, so you know that, and, and they're spreading the goals around the team. I mean, I look at Saturday again. It could have been a day for John McGinn to finally score for first time in forty odd games. Um, he had two really good chances, and perhaps we'll get onto him shortly. But yeah. um, you know, he, he's certainly thriving now, and he's looking much more comfortable in that advanced position. Um, it's funny you've just reminded me of something actually. Southampton, the, the last the last clean, the last time Villa got a clean sheet. Is, is that right, Rich? Southampton? I believe so. I could be completely wrong. That's in my memory. The last time <laughs> oh, they got dear. a clean sheet. I've got a, I've got a horrible um, comparison to throw up here. So oh. the last time Villa had a clean sheet was against Southampton, and Bubakar Kamara got injured. 
And now the last time they got injured, uh, last time they had a clean sheet. Their most recent clean sheet was against Crystal Palace and Bukar Kamara got injured, which isn't great. I think that might be true. I I can't remember Villa keeping another another clean sheet at home. (coughs) Just it's such a blow, isn't it? Because he's integral to to what Villa do at the moment. We're recording at around four o'clock, quarter past four. We don't know the extent of the injury. Nothing's been announced at the time we're recording. But, you know, he's probably not going to be there for the next few weeks. At the very least, I thought it was a staggering five, ten minutes from Decorah, where he just seemed determined to get sent off and injure Villa players. It was it, it was really weird. But Kamara's one of them ones in the Villa midfield. I think Louise can do a lot of the things that Kamara can do. But it's then, if he's out, who comes in to replace him and goes alongside <clears throat> Louise? Then Donka was missing at the weekend. I thought Chambers came on and, and actually did okay in the midfield area, but I wouldn't want to see him starting. In defensive midfield for, for Villa, to be honest, if I'm if I'm being perfectly honest, so it's a difficult one now because Kamara is such a good player. He's he's one of Villa's better players, isn't he? So essentially, he's irreplaceable. Yeah, he's outstanding, um, and I think he makes all the players alongside him perform much better. Um, he's absolutely crucial to the way Emery wants to play. Emery knew of him before he came to Villa, but having spent the last four months with him, now realises what a brilliant player he is and, and what you know huge potential he has. Um if you look at the, the the last couple of home goals, you know, both through excellently worked uh passages of play that started with Emmy Martinez and, and finished with goals, Kamara's at the heart of both of them. He's involved, isn't he? He's the key. Like, you know, he he's the key because you look at when Martinez has the ball and he's two options immediately are Konza and Mings or the two centre-halves that are playing. But then Kamara's always moving around, you know, five yards to the left, five yards to the right, coming in a little bit deeper, giving him that option. And then that just drags another um, opposition player out of the midfield. And then Filler can play in a cute, nice little triangle and get out of there. They break the lines really quickly. And they go on to score, as we've seen in the last two home games. It's obviously it's not as easy as that. It's not going to happen every single time. But the fact that it's happened in the last two home games shows that you know there's clear progress being made. Um, and Kamara, I just think if you're, you know, people all remember him for the for the mistake against um, Leicester. Leicester, yes, and they'll re- uh, remember him. And if you're looking a little bit deeper, they'll remember him for the mistake against Arsenal, which was just a, a long hoofed ball, um, which allowed Arsenal to uh, turn over play and then go and score from Jorginho really late on. Um, but but on that day, he had a 93% passing accuracy and he, he only misplaced two of his 50 or 60 passes, which, you know, is pretty incredible in the Premier League, especially against Arsenal. So yeah. he, he's key to the way Villa play. He can wriggle out of tight situations. He can pick a pass where he breaks the lines. Um, you know, Villa did their research on him before they signed him. Um, his, his statistics at, at um, Marseille before he was signed was that he was he ranked among the highest um, in midfielders for interceptions, for um, uh, winning back possession in the middle third and for things like through balls and, and passes into the final third. So, he can do a little bit of both. He can con- help control the game, but he's also got the quality to break the lines and, and pick out clever passes. So, yeah, he, he's going to be a big loss. And, and I also think he's making the players alongside him better. I think Douglas Louise looks a better player with him next to him. I think John McGinn is performing really well because one of the reasons why he's performing well is because he's in a more advanced role um, and he's got that protection behind him. So, yeah, it's going to be a big, big, big miss for Villa. 
what are they going to do? Do you think well, the, back? Because you don't the, want it. You don't want to pull McGinn back at the moment. <clears throat> the option, look, you, I mean, we can go through the options together. The obvious one is Leander Dendonka. If, if as soon as he's back from his injury, um, yeah, he, no he will be the obvious uh, uh, guy to come straight back in. I, I like Dendonka. I think he's got qualities. He's not Bubakar Kamara, but he can fit in. Um, Callum Chambers, who came off the bench on Saturday, he's the other option. I know that Emery really trusts McGinn and I just fear a little bit that he's going to put him back in there, which isn't the end of the world, but you, you just want to, you want someone to just drop in instead of Kamara and leave McGinn where he is and let him continue, can, let him continue doing what he's doing best because he's doing really well. And look at the last three goals, I think, that, you know, he's been key in all three of them, hasn't he? So, um, Villa need McGinn in that more advanced role, but unfortunately it's going to be needs must. So, for me, it'll be one of the three. I just don't see Ramsey um, being that deeper line midfielder. Just don't, I just don't see him having the responsibility no. of collecting the ball and building up the play. I think he's better further further forward. That pass actually that you made at the weekend for the goal again might be the thing that tips the balance and pulls him back because it was it was such a good pass, wasn't it? But I guess mm. he's doing it from that advanced area anyway. So, but he, he's doing it after Kamara's passed to him. Yeah, you know, Kamara is the, he's the playmaker. Kamara gets the ball, he starts it off, and then it's up to one of the others to, you know, to finish off the move. Kamara's the playmaker, he's the key in all of this. I do think Louise can do some of the things that, that Kamara does. So if Dendonka, for example, comes in or McGinn or whoever, I do think Louise can take on take on the mantle because he perhaps takes more of a back seat on the ball. Uh, yeah. out, of the two, out of the two midfielders. Let's be let's be real here. We Villa's midfield especially when it's been in midfield three, we've spoke about the makeup of that for probably three seasons and not liked it and said, this isn't <laughs> this isn't what we like here. I don't understand what we're doing. Them two as a pair. I think, They're a good pair, aren't it's they? It's as, as good as it gets at the moment for where Villa are, I would say. Villa aren't going to get two yeah, better. If, if Villa you, went to sign a central no. midfielder, they're not getting someone in who's better than Kamara and Louise, I don't think. No, no. I mean, look, you know, Ben Tanker was, was a player that Villa had watched previously and I thought he was excellent at Tottenham until he got his injury. You know, Tottenham clearly yeah, missed him. They clearly miss him, you know. The, the, he's irreplaceable in the way that Kamara's irreplaceable for for, for Villa. But um, yeah, Kamara and Louise, I like it a lot. I think it's a good midfield. We, we spoke for years, haven't we, about about that midfield? Villa hadn't signed a defensive midfielder for like five, six transfer windows. I think Marvellous Nakamba was the last full to- uh, last permanent yeah, defensive midfielder that, that Villa had signed before Kamara. So that number six position was a key area they needed it. Um, and uh, and yeah, uh, I mean, look. I, I, at the time of recording, we don't know the extent of the injury. Uh, I think at minimum it's going to be three or four weeks. Um, we, we were told on Saturday by by staff at Villa that it wasn't an ankle or Achilles injury. That was the that was the the biggest fear because those the, either of those injuries would would draw you out for a very long time, um, potentially even season ending. Um, Kamara had an assessment at midday on Monday, so we're, we're waiting for the outcome of it. I guess the good thing is he had a bad injury earlier on in the season, obviously discussed. <clears throat> but he got back a lot quicker than he was supposed to. So he's obviously got that durability and he's got that recovery and, he, and he's proven that he can put the work in to get back earlier. And Villa's medical staff have proven that they can put the work in to get to get a player back early. So I guess, I guess that's a positive. But it's a huge blow. It was a shocking tackle. I just think both Decore's tackles in that game, well, actually he made three because he should have got booked before he, he made the tackle on, on Kamara, which may have prevented that happening, actually, even though he did see him on a mission to be sent off. Any any of them could have could I think any of those two tackles on one on Kamara one on Chambers, I think that either of them could have been straight red in all honesty. Yeah, um, 
that they weren't great tackles. Uh, I, I was surprised by Decore. I mean, I quite rate him as a player. I think he's he's done all right this season. But I was surprised at how he just the recklessness of it. I mean, you, you make the first challenge against Kamara, you get a booking. Surely you're going to learn from that. So soon after as well. You get a booking like straight after. I mean, it must be infuriating. Patrick Vieira was asked about it after and he kind of just played it down, you know, didn't really say anything. But deep down, he must have been furious with him. You know, he was a midfielder. I think Vieira might have done that kind of thing before. He might have done that kind of thing before himself. Yeah, probably. But he, he, he knows what it's like in that in that area. You do have to control yourself, especially after one booking. And... Um, in the modern game as well, bookings are, are so easily picked up. But yeah, it, it, it wasn't great play from him. Um, in terms of Kamara's recovery, he did he did get back from the last injury a lot quicker than expected. Uh, Villa sanctioned a move for him to to go and spend some time in Dubai, where he where he works in the in the FIFA facilities there to try and uh, speed up his rehab. Uh, and and he did get back really quick. And and the France uh, national team selectors were were impressed too and he, he just missed out on the World Cup which was a shame because he got injured on the same day or the same week that he was an, announced into the France uh, squad the, the, the last one before the yeah. so it was a disappointing disappointing time for him but yeah he's got equipment in his home in Birmingham um, that helps speed up recovery as well so yeah he's, uh, he's, he's well set up but we'll just have to wait and see the extent of his uh, injury first. Yeah, fingers crossed he gets back ASAP because irreplaceable in, in that Villa midfield. So it's been such a good signing for the for the football club and someone who's going to be a big part of Villa's future and what Emery wants moving forward. Let's talk about John McGinn a little bit then. So, you know, for a year maybe, yeah, I just he was in no man's land a bit at, at Villa, wasn't he? He was then asked to perform a role under Stephen mm-hmm. Gerrard that just didn't suit him at all. <clears> his form <throat> suffered, his confidence suffered. We were basically asking John McGinn to do the things that he wasn't great at whilst not asking him to do the things that he was good at. So it was a, it'd been a bizarre 12 months for him since Stephen Gerrard came in. He then got made captain at yeah. a time when his form was, was suffering in general. And then some of the reasons that were leveled at Tara Mings getting the captaincy taken away from him could have been labelled at John McGinn. So then came fan criticism. And you know what? He got, he got heavy criticism. I think it's all well and good questioning form and things like that which Villa fans did. But a lot of the stuff started to really, Villa fans really started to get on John McGinn's back, which I think was out of order for someone who's, who's done so much for the football club. Does feel now that he's, he's feeling the love again from the crowd. He's got the love from a manager, which you've alluded to earlier on in, in, in our conversation. He's playing a role that suits him. It does feel like we're starting to see the best of John McGinn again, and that's excellent for Villa. Yeah, really pleased for him that he's uh, that he's finding this good form again. Um, I think he'll probably know himself that his form yeah, under, under Stephen Gerrard wasn't wasn't at the level that, that it that it was previously. He know, he probably knew that. Yeah, he did didn't he? he said he said it publicly a few times that he knew he needed to do better. Um, but Stephen Gerrard really rated him. You know, loved his energy, loved his enthusiasm. Um, thought he was an excellent player, named him the captain. It's just he's never really played in that defensive role, and he's always played his better football when he's in more of an attacking role. Um, so it was good to see that Emery recognised that and, and put and put him back in there. I think the criticism that he that he got last year was was really harsh for a player that who was signed for two point seven five million. You know, it's easy to it's easy to forget that he's probably one of the. You know the the big the best bargains Villa have had for for a very long time. Um, you know certainly in the top three or four. Uh, all his efforts in the promotion winning year, he had he had a decent start to life in the Premier League, um, and he's somebody who just 
he's so down to earth, you know, he's so different to most footballers. He'll he'll stick around and, and speak to supporters after the games and, and, and spend hours signing sign uh, signing autographs. Yeah. He's always one that waits around always ones that one of the players that gives um the people that turn up to the to the training ground the right time. Um you know, and he's just, he's just a good ambassador for the club, and and just a down to earth guy who, who has who has done excellent for himself. So, but yeah, I mean, look, you know, playing in the Premier League, it's ruthless, isn't it? Supporters expect you to be turning up every single week, performing at the levels um, that they've seen you previously. So when you drop off, um, inevitably, there's always going to be criticism. But it's nice to see that the Villa fans are now back on his side because I feel like he's a guy that deserves it. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, when he was named captain, I didn't agree with it. It wasn't something that I thought should happen. I just felt Tyro Mings was a better fit for captain. He was a better captain, a better leader. At that time, you, McGinn's confidence felt low at the start of the season. You know, so to burden him with the captaincy at that time just, just felt strange to, to me. Not to say that he's not a good leader, John McGinn, but now, I don't know how much you know about this. I kind of feel he's growing into the, to the captaincy now and under Emery. I feel like he, he is the right leader now and it's the right time for him. I feel like you watch him on the pitch. He's very, very vocal now, a lot more vocal mm. than I ever remember him being. He's geeing up those around him quite a lot and he's taken a lot of responsibility on his shoulders. But actually, whereas last season, sorry, earlier on in the season when he's given the responsibility, I think it weighed him down. I think now he's carrying it on his back and he's, and he's taking it into games. And I think he's actually now starting to just enjoy being, being a captain. I was at an event at Villa Park in you know, October or November, and he was there. And you know, I'm not, I'm not a massive body language reader or anything like that. I'm not, 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 not trained in that kind of thing. But I could tell he was low. I spoke to him a little bit. I could tell he was low. I could tell he wasn't himself, and that he was carrying the weight of the world on, on his shoulders. Now he just seems to have that freedom again to be John McGinn in that new position, and I love seeing it. Yeah, and and I think you know you, you speak to most footballers when they play with that freedom and they're, and they're playing well and they're comfortable in in their role um, and comfortable in their own performances. It helps. Um, it rubs off on others. You know, others can see that they're that they're performing well. And, and look, McGinney's McGinn can be vocal if he needs to be. Um, I don't know what he's like in the dressing room, sort of pre and post game. I, I'm not privy to obviously those conversations, but. Um, if he needs to get stuck into a teammate, he will. If he needs to offer up encouragement, he can also do that. Um, but I think he's more of a performance leader than a than than, than you know a, a vocal um, player. But clearly, clearly he's performing well. And look, you just have to when you're the captain of the of the team, you just have to be playing well. It's as simple as that. You can't have a captain, you know, regardless of how great they are as a person or or, or how much. Um, their teammates respect them. If they're not performing well, you can't be the captain because it's just you have to you have to influence and, and rub off on others. And um, you know that's typically why we see some of the best performers in the team being the captain of their respective clubs. Yeah, Harry Kane, an example of that. Jack when he was when he was at Villa as well, yeah. a, a, another example. I'm really pleased for him. I think <clears> he did. I thought some of the stick was completely completely unjustified. As much as I didn't think he was playing well, I thought some of the stick was really over the top. And we'll come on to your piece that you did for the Athletic last week. You only have to listen to the way other players talk about him or read the way other players talk about him to tell you a lot about his character and how he is in the dressing room and how well thought of <laughs> he is as well. We'll come on to that, as I said. But, you know, yeah. 
you forget how much people do for the football club at times. And McGinn's right up there for players that have that have done a lot for Aston Villa. Now, as an honorary member of the, the Cash family as well, Greg, you must be pleased to see Matty Cash bombing up and down the touchline again. It was... Listen, I don't know whether you've seen his interview afterwards or whether you've you spoke I, to we, him. We did it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the way he was the way he was speaking about Emery as well, for someone who's been out of the team, I thought that was very encouraging as well. Yes, it was it was good to catch up with him actually after the game and, and speak a little bit and try and find out his thoughts on on what it was like when he was out of the team. Um and also how much he's enjoying or, or or not enjoying you know time under Emery because let's be honest Steve, Steven Gerrard was his biggest fan um yeah. if there was if there was a if there was a you know he was one of the first names on the team sheet and I, I know it's a bit of a a um an overused phrase now but no, he was because he, he played, but, he but played he every week was you know and he he was he was a real favorite of Gerrard's um so I asked him straight, look, I said, look how how was it when you were out of the team? How did it feel? And his reaction was kind of like, well, it's never nice not playing. Um, of course, it was a little bit disappointing. But to hear so many people saying that I'd been dropped because I'd been playing badly um, was a little bit confusing, and a little bit weird. He said, you know, he'd, he'd gone to, he'd been to the World Cup. He felt like he'd performed quite well at the World Cup, but he'd come back and Ashley Young was playing well. Ashley Young kept the play, kept his place. Villa were winning, um, and so he just had to be a little bit patient. That that was his take on things. Um, He's had to work really hard, like all the rest of the players, um, under under Emery to to get used to his methods. Um, to find out, for example, for, for Matt Cash, he, he needs to know when he can get forward and when he has to stay back. Um, he's drilled very closely and intensely on that. You know, he gets clips where he he has to study them at home and 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 see what's working well, what's working not, where he has to be positioned um, in certain scenarios. So. He was pleased to get that assist because it, that's the best part of his game, he feels. He loves attacking. He loves being a, a modern fullback um, and getting forward and creating chances. So to get that assist was, you know, probably, well, it was a good thing for him because he can say, look, I can do this. I can get forward. I can create goals. And, and, and Emery will have to take notice of that. I think it's sometimes a good thing when a player has teething problems under a manager because he will show a lot about their character. So he could have easily sulked when he when he was out of the team and not tried to adapt to, to what the manager wants. And I've said previously on on, on the view and, and other things that I've visibly noticed Emery losing his nut on the touchline at Matty Cash at, at times if he's done something that, that he doesn't like. But, you know, he felt like that relationship and the way Cash was starting to speak to him after the game. Now he's starting to blossom and it says a lot about Matty Cash, you know, that he's prepared. To, to adapt and he's prepared to, to to learn and study and get to the level that Emery wants to, to get himself back in the team. And you've said, talked a little bit about rotation and there will be rotation of fullbacks, but it now feels again like it's his shirt. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, look, again, I asked him that direct question as well and he was quick to play that down. He said, look, it's never my shirt. You know, we, we've got four good fullbacks here. I'm competing with Ashley Young, who he's quite close with. So, you know, socially as well, they, they do things together, I think. Um, and uh, and they push each other quite hard. So, you know, he he knows if he keeps playing well, he's not going to get he's not going to be dropped. He's he's not going to lose his place if he performs at the level that he's performed in the last two home games. He's been brilliant. I think he's been one of Villa's top performers against um, Arsenal and Crystal Palace. Had a little bit of a, a rough ride at Everton in in the first half, but then certainly improved um, defensively. But the the key is to to the key for Emery with his fullbacks is to make sure they're doing exactly what he's asked of them. Of course, they have to defend first and foremost, but some um, whether 
uh, on the right occasion, they can be a real handful going forward and and and, and help create. And I think look, the last thing Cash said to us it was there was me and um, a couple of other reporters uh, down at the mix zone at, at Villa Park was. I'm going to try and get forward, you know, as often as as I can when I'm allowed to, and try and give Ollie Watkins as many tap-ins as possible. So that's what he's hoping to be doing in the future. Yeah, I mean, he was my man of the match on Saturday, which people are saying means absolutely nothing. But let me tell you, he liked the tweet pretty quickly. So obviously, my man of the match award <laughs> does mean a lot to Matty Cash. So let's see who gets. I always, it I always find if uh, if Villa give us a player uh, to to interview after the after the game, he's typically either scored or been the man of the match. So. Yeah, yeah, that, that no, I'm not sure who I would have given man of the match. I, di- I didn't think it was Cash actually. Um, Cash and McGinn were my top two. McGinn, Cash, McGinn, I thought Cash McGinn and, and Kamara, McGinn, Kamara, and Louise all impressed me. I thought so. I would maybe give it to one of those. Okay, interesting. Let's move on then away from the Crystal Palace game, Greg, and we've teased it a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about your big piece that you did on the Athletic last week, your big read around Villa's 10 game and beating run that started, started around this time last year, was it? It was on the four-year anniversary that we yeah. did, I released the story, yeah. So, second yeah. um, of March, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, story I've been really wanting to do for, for a long time. We've, we've teased it a little bit on here. I, the reason I was teasing it rather than saying exactly what it was was because I was still waiting for one more interview. So, um, I wanted to get that in the bag before I could do it. Um, and it was quite a crucial one. I, I, won't, I won't say who kept me waiting the longest, but it, it was quite a crucial one. I think I can done. guess who it was. Uh, no, 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 I don't no, think no. it was. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, I can't give you any clues. I should get yeah. it. Uh, so let's just. Well, we, it was a long time to put together, and um, obviously, you know, I'm very conscious that that people who subscribe to the Athletic are are paying their money to to read my articles and other another articles. So you know, it's really important that I give them something different. Uh, feel like this was, you know, this was something unique, something that I wanted to tell for a long time. Um, and what was most pleasing about it was just that all the players were so willing to do it. Um, you know, it took me a long time to get hold of them. Don't don't get me wrong. And uh, you know, fo- footballers aren't the easiest to pin down, and you have to be patient with them. But once I got talking to each and every one of them, they loved doing it, and they loved going through the memories. Um, and it was it was a brilliant time to be covering the club. I presume for you, it was a brilliant time to be supporting the club. Um, and the players. They say it was a brilliant time to be playing for the club. You know, Tammy Abraham, who's 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 over in Roma now, um, you know, playing European football. He's played for Chelsea, but he says, look, look, looking back, one of the best times of my career now was was playing for Villa. You know, it was one of the most enjoyable. So that just kind of summed it up. Yeah, I mean, I loved reading it. Yeah, I had a smile on my face all the way through reading it. I thought it's probably the best thing you've done on, on the Athletic. I'm not saying everything else you've done is rubbish, but I do think that that was your, that was your, that was your strongest piece. I think that's the, the bit that you're good at, telling stories of things that have happened previously. And I thought you put it together really, really well. It was just, it was just a happy time. I think, you know, looking back, it's actually a really special team. It's when you hear the way they're talking yeah. about each other. Even the way they talk about someone like Glenn Whelan, the yedding at people that you don't hear a lot about, the way the players all wax lyrical about them setting the standards in training. I just thought it, it, it was really, really interesting, you know. And that side will go down as a, spe- a special side because there's a lot of younger Villa fans who've seen very little success as, as Villa fans, but they'll remember that running the championship and going up as, as a successful team. You had the loot kit. It was just everything going going around with it was was just so so good. And you know, I was out with out with Connor a few weeks ago, and I was, I was sat there thinking, 
you know, I know he's, you know, he's fell away, he's playing in League One or, or whatever now, but everyone who played in that team was special and contributed something. I think it's rare that you have a squad of players where everyone pretty much has, has contributed something. Yeah. You know, you, you, said, you said to me that you loved speaking to Neil Taylor. He had, he had yeah. so, so many stories and he's a player that probably in 10, 20 years' time, Villa fans won't really remember much of, but would have been a driving yeah. force in the dressing room and, and made it a good place. They all, they all had a, a unique place in the team. They all had a special part to play. Um, when, I, when I spoke to Dean Smith, he was saying that, um, uh, De- Dean was saying, look, you know, the, the, the key people in the, in the, in the dressing room um, were uh, Neil Taylor, Mila Yedinak, Glenn Whelan and, uh, and Elmer, Elmer Hamader. You know, those were the four that, that set standards. Yet, if you think back to that team as a supporter, the, the four names that you think of are probably going to be John McGinn, Jack Grealish, Tammy Abraham and perhaps Jed Steer for, for what he did towards the end and, and Tyrone Mings. You don't really think of the Whelans and the Elmos and the Neil Taylors, but but those were the guys that were driving standards in training and, and, and those were the guys that were making sure that the younger players weren't complacent um, when they were winning games. And you need those players on a team to help you over the line. Now, I went through all the 10 games, you know, if, for those listeners who, who haven't read it, you know, I, I do, it's very rare you'll hear me say this, but I, I encourage you to go and read it because I'm, I'm basing that comment on the feedback that I've had and I've never had as much positive feedback from a story as that one. Um, you know, so many people messaged me um, and commented on the story and said, look, you've goosebumps along, you know, the whole way you've, 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 you've brought back so many brilliant, brilliant memories. Um, so if you haven't read it, go, go and have a read of it. But just to, just to explain what I did, I went through all the 10 games um, and got all the memories from, from each of the games. And it was little things like Tammy was the main guy back then, but when he got injured at Millwall, Villa needed Jonathan Codger for a little bit. And the way I always, the way I think of Codger now, when, when I, when I say his name is how he, almost tossed it off towards the end and how he appeared to be very laser. Um, mad, Codger. And Absolutely didn't mad. seem to care about Villa. Now, um, that's my opinion. It, he, it might have been different for him towards the end, but definitely at that point, he was energised and he was motivated and he was a key part of that Villa team. Um, it was just so interesting to hear some of the things that Jack Grealish was saying about him, some of the things that Dean Smith and Neil Taylor were saying about him. Um, he was a really important player back then. But look, I mean, honestly, we could have, we could have, a, I could chat all day about that story. I enjoyed it so much. It was, you know, I spoke to Amar Al Ghazi over in, in Holland. I, I went and seen uh, Andre Green in um, uh, Slovakia, where, where he's playing now. It was just great to get a, a full full low down from all the players and, and be able to pull it all together. And, the, you know, I, I remember covering the team and I was enjoying it. You enjoyed it as a, as a supporter, but the the players loved it as well. Yeah. You know, they, they genuinely loved it. They were, they, used to, they, were, they were singing their own song, you know, singing songs that the, the supporters were singing after games and things like that. It was just a, you know, great time to be associated with Villa. Yeah, it was the making of a few players as well. What wasn't it that as well? And you know, interviewed Neil Cutler last week and spoke a, a little bit about about Jed Steer. You know, someone who hasn't played a fat lot of games for Villa, but will always be remembered fondly because he helped get, get the team up. You know, Yedinak would have would have seen it all because he came in under De Matteo, didn't he? So he was there under De Matteo, Bruce, and and Dean Smith. But you know. Just the professional standards, he wouldn't have changed from how he was under Dean Matteo to how he was under Dean Smith. It's just, you know, it's a fascinating time in Villa's history as well because I hated the championship. 
absolutely hated Villa being in the championship. It wasn't something I ever expected to see in my life. And a lot of the time, it felt like an absolute slog trying to get out of that, get out of that league. And you go and watch some it was, games. Wasn't it? it was, you know, for Villa three and a half years, Villa it was weren't great, dreadful, wasn't it? Yeah, Villa weren't great for a lot of their time in the championship. Yeah. That ten game run was like. I remember doing podcasts every week with Tom Julian and people were messaging in saying, God, if we could just win 10 games in a row, we've still got a chance of promotion. <laughs> and me and Tom were sat there being like, what are these people are? That's not, that's not going to happen. We're going to be in the championship again next season. It's mad. I tell this, I, I'm, I'm sure I've already told this story, but it was, it was after the, before the Derby game and after the Stoke game. And I was walking into Bodymore Heath and there was just three people that used to cover Villa at the time then at press conferences. It was me, Matt Mayer from the Express and Star and, and Tom Ross from the, uh, sorry, and uh, Tom Ross would occasionally come for, for a radio briefing um, and Radio WM would come. So there was always three, sometimes four of us. And I, and I just remember it was cold February. We were walking into Bodymore Heath and, and we just all, I just said to him, literally Villa have got to win almost every game now. They would have to go on something ridiculous like an 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 game unbeaten run to have any chance of making in the play, uh, playoffs. So we might as well forget it now. Where do you think we'll be going in, uh, in pre-season in the summer? And <laughs> it's just like, and the way they turned it around was, you know, incredible. So yeah. it just shows, doesn't it, in football that anything can happen. And that team, that Villa team was good enough, you know, to be fair. A couple of the players said, look, it was Jed, I think it was Jed actually. Jed said to me, he said, a couple of games into the into the run, which at the time wouldn't have been a run because it was just, you know, two or three victories. He said, I remember looking around, I was sitting in the dress, uh, locker room and remember looking at the, the lockers thinking, we've got Tammy Abraham here, we've got John McGinney, we've got um, Jack Grealish here. Because John and, and John and Jack Grealish were obviously unbelievable at that point. Um, we've just got enough quality here, we're going to win games. And then Connor, you know, he said... It was the only time ever in my um, career so far that I felt like I was going into games and we were not going to lose. And for footballers to have that, it's so unique, so rare. Well, it's very rare. I've had a run where I turned up to Villa Park and knowing that they're, they're going to win. I've had more weeks where I've turned up thinking, I know we're not going to win today. Yeah. For that 10-game run, you literally <clears> just felt like they'd, they'd win every week. That Rotherham, like, that Rotherham game, for some, for some reason, because I think it's because the goal, the winner, and they had 10 men, the goal was so good, one of my favourite goals ever. Games like that will just stay in my mind for, forever. Yeah, like, it was just, Rotherham just and Sheffield Wednesday were the big ones, weren't they? They were the real memorable. Yeah, big, big wins, like, big character, big big ball shown from the team as, as well. It was, it was just a great time, and it came off the back of an absolute slug. I remember Villa losing to Barnsley at home. Mm. They just signed all these players as well. Going to Brentford, just signed like three players for like the best of the championship at the time, and then Brentford just picked us apart three and nil. You know, yeah. and, you know their little ground. I was standing in the terraces thinking, "What am I doing? What, what, has, <laughs> what has happened to Villa here? What, what is going on?" But yeah, a, a fantastic time. Yeah, your article. You know, it's a good article when you spend time afterwards reading the comments, which mm. is what I did. So I was probably spent 15, 20 minutes reading the article. I probably did the same again, reading yeah. all the comments. Yeah. I think I went back. To look at the comments again a few nights later to read the ones that i'd missed out on so yeah just a just a really happy time and well done you because it, it was a brilliant article and i really really enjoyed it I did yeah thank you mate. appreciate it no way well done you know I, I, i'll give you a gif when you deserve it i'll give you praise when you deserve it as, <laughs> as well greg but i did ask for some questions on twitter earlier so i just got them oh okay you I'll could go. have briefed me with these before we, uh, we I mean, get greg, I, I believe i tagged you in it so you should you should have been saying all really? oh, i don't always check i'm sorry so yeah um, so i'll just do I missed them 
do a few of them. This feels a little bit to do with what we were just talking about. So Harry, 10-92. Is there still a chance of a push for European football? You never know, Greg. If it'll win 10 games in a row. Push, push uh, sorry, so, so say that again. I've just had a, uh, just checking my phone, so I might have some some news to break shortly. Just just say that again. Sorry, no, let's break the news. Let's break the news. No, I, I don't know it yet. <laughs> I was oh, okay. checking to say okay. it was the news. Okay, right. So Harry ten nine two says, "Is there any real chance of a push for European football still?" So Greg, if we say it now, if you could just win <laughs> ten games in a row, European, <laughs> European football. Well, Harry, right? if you uh, if you've been listening previously, then yeah. <laughs> Um, we're, we're in the spirits here of winning lots of games in a row. So, um, I mean, look, you can't rule it out yet. We, we, I'm, I'm intrigued to watch Brentford Fulham tonight to see yes. to see how uh, how those two get on. Uh, those two at the moment are slightly ahead of Villa, not just in terms of points, but in terms of you know, I think togetherness and and um, you know the way that they've they've attacked this season. Um, it's ridiculous, not... by the way. Like that, they're not getting enough credit for how well they've done. Yeah, they've think. been excellent. They've been fantastic. You know, and Marco Silva deserves huge credit. Um, but yeah, you, you wouldn't really associate Fulham, Brentford, and, and Brighton with clubs that sh- um, would be performing better than Villa. But you know, um, they, they are at the moment. So look, I think if Villa keep winning, it sounds easy, doesn't it? Villa keep winning, get into Europe. I think that seventh place is still very much available. There's 13 games left. Yeah, something like that, yeah. If Villa wins seven or eight, I think that, oh, I think Villa around eight, eight or nine, they've got a chance. Stop it. In mean, four years' time, Greg Evans on the Athletic, right about but... the start of this 10-game run. It's going to be, going to be key, some article. Look, key, I think the key is, because of the, the, because of the slow start to the season, the key is to finish in the top 10. You know, that has been Villa's aim for a long time now. They haven't done it for 12 years. If they can finish in the top 10 this season, that's a building block for them. Um, seventh place, he's very much still there, but they've got to go on an unbelievable run to get there. I still feel, I feel like I'd be a lot more buoyed about that without this Kamara injury. <coughs> the Kamara injury is critical, really. How long he's going to be out for, he's, he's going to make or break that, I think, because we've said he's, he's irreplaceable. I do think that'll be a huge blow to Villa's ambitions this season. Gary H, GH Villa says, I heard Unai's explanation as to why two goalkeepers and no kids on the bench. Even though we are one short than the max allowed, not sure I understand the rationale, so I would like your views on this. I mean, look the way I'm the way I'm reading it. He's he's asked he's Uno Uno Emery's been asked this question a few times now, and the way he's he's never really fully answered it. Um, I think I think what we can probably look at is he, look his take is we need to walk, we we want to warm up both the goalkeepers. We want to keep both of them active, but you can include a, another goalkeeper in there anyway. Went out on the warm up, you often see, yeah, they've been um, done that for years in there, you know, and we, we've seen that happen for years. So, uh, I think it's a little bit of a look, I'm gonna need players in the summer. I've got two, I've had two goalkeepers on the bench for the last five weeks or whatever. Um, I think there's a little bit of that there, and it's also a case of well, the youngsters that are currently there at the moment that could be promoted into the first team, um, squad, are, they're just not ready, you know, they're just not going to be players who are going to feature for Villa in the first team. So there's, there's no point in in in, um, in Emery putting them on the bench because they're not going to feature. Um, Villa's best best youth players are out on loan at the moment. Aaron Ramsey scored uh, in the Championship. Uh, Jaden Philogene Bidet scored in the Championship. Keenan Davies, he's, he's at Watford and he's going to leave. Archer um, scoring. You know, um, Art, Cameron Archer. These are the players that would be in the squad if they're there now, but they're out on loan. So, you know, 
I'm not, I'm not automatically writing off every single under-21 player there at the club, but at the moment, they're not on the level to be in the squad. A slightly different take on it to you, only, only ever so slightly. So I think the two keepers thing looks fine. I think you've got nine subs nowadays. You can only use five. If Villa only name eight subs, if they've got two keepers on, I, I don't think it's it's a massive issue. Caden Young's a little bit strange because he has been on mm. the bench when Emery first came in and he's fell away now. But I almost think it's an incentive thing so that if a young player makes it to the bench, mm. they know they've burnt it and they'll feel good about they'll feel good about that. They now know that being on the bench actually means something, if if that makes sense, because yeah. Villa haven't had that. So I think later on in the season, you will see academy yeah, players coming come yeah, to the bench, that, but they'll know that they've they've yeah. done enough to be there. So I think it's quite clever. Actually, yeah. in, in in some ways, I guess some I can't find now. Someone's asked, "Oh, it's Sean at the Villa's asked about Kane Kessler Hayden because he's back back at the club. You know, yeah. He's more of a senior youth player, but he's not getting anywhere yeah. near it." No, I mean because you know Villa Villa have got a right back on the bench already, so um, you know that uh, Unai Emery feels like he doesn't need one. A little bit unfortunate for Kessler Hayden because he'd started five games in a row, I think, at Huddersfield before he was um, before he was sent back. Uh, you know, it was, a, it was a decision from Huddersfield. It was an up and down period for him, but something he would have um, clearly learned from. Um, he had a lot of momentum behind him, Kessler Hayden, because he went alone to Swindon, did really well. Um, he went somewhere else, didn't he? MK Dons, was it? Yeah. Yeah. He went to MK Dons, did, did, did really well there. Um, and it was only right for, for Villa to, to find a championship club for him the next time. In the next season, to 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 try and get him, um, to to try and keep his momentum building, and and look, yeah, Huddersfield were were a struggling club. Um, they swapped managers during the during the season. Uh, they wanted to promote some of their own youth players as well, so it didn't quite work out for for, for Kessler Hayden there. Um, and he's back at Villa now, and he will be hoping to kick on next season. Another loan spell will be the will be the aim for him next year. Okay, we're going to finish with the absolute major question, the big question, the one everyone wants to know the answer to from ABFC Faith. I think it'd be nice to finish the podcast with a non-Villa question every week, so I'd encourage people to tweet ahead of 1874. Favourite chocolate bar, Greg? <laughs> oh, my God, I didn't see that one coming. Uh, well, it's a whisper gold, isn't it? I mean, you say that like that's a popular choice. I wouldn't think a whisper gold is a, is a popular choice for people with chocolate bars. Got to be in the Evans household to know. Have that I even had a? I'm struggling to think if I've even ever had a whisper gold. What's in it? <laughs> had a whisper. Well, it's a whisper with caramel in it. Oh no, not big on the caramel stuff for me. It's fantastic. That's not, that's not one for me. What a strange question to finish the podcast with. I like but, it. Uh, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, but yeah, we we have. Um, what do we get at the press in the press box at Villa? We have. Dairy milks, and we have a dairy milk caramel option at Aston Villa. Oh, but you so, take the caramel option. Take the caramel. Take the caramel. <laughs> the only only person that eats the caramel, everyone else would take the, the normal dairy milk. I, I think I've got a favourite chocolate bar, really. I don't mind a Yorker. I like yeah, a Yorker. Yorkies are good. But I just, I'm a Ferrero Rocher man. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to have chocolate, I'm going to do it properly, and, and eat a try of Ferrero Rocher in one go. Even I always buy my mum some of them for Christmas. She loves them. Yeah, so. My mum gets it for me. Most of them. 
Obviously, I love forever wash out at Christmas. Have that for breakfast every Christmas day without that. Thanks for that question, Faithful. I, I enjoy talking about something different at the end. <laughs> thanks to Greg for joining me as well on the 1874 show. And thanks to Adam for producing and all the work he's going to go on to do to get this podcast on all the various platforms. I'll give a shout out to Spotify again. We've got video and audio on Spotify now. So if that's the way you prefer to take in your podcasts, then you can do it using the Spotify app. I've never had Spotify, so I don't really know what, what it's like. But yeah, if you use it, you can watch this podcast via that medium. We'll be back next week with another episode of 1874 every Monday. So watch out for that. Take care and up the villa. Sports Social Podcast Network.